Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with Dr. Sonia Jensen and myself. I want to ask you a question. What does hair loss, fatigue, low strength and endurance, and low libido all have in common? So we're going to dive into that and so much more. Uh, and if you're enjoying this conversation and conversations like this that we have in our podcast, please continue to comment and like and share and subscribe to everything that you're learning here so that we can help build this community together. And we so appreciate that you're here. So when you hear those kind of core symptoms, what do you think of? Low testosterone in men. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and can, can women experience low strength and endurance and, mm-hmm. fa- and fatigue and libido because of low testosterone as well? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So it definitely comes up even more during like perimenopause years, but even earlier in reproductive years, any of those symptoms would correlate with low testosterone. Yeah. Okay. So hair loss sounds like an outlier, right? Yeah. Because when you think of that, you think of uh, actually for a lot of men, they have uh, increased conversion of testosterone into something called dihydrotestosterone, which seems to increase that that male pattern baldness Mm -hmm. scenario. And yet we see a lot of our men in in clinic that that tends to be a symptom of low androgen. So um, all these other ones, like we often think of testosterone being low and it's just all about libido. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's so much more Mm -hmm. than just that, right? Yeah, like testosterone, as we talked about in our last podcast, is such a motivating hormones so when we see that people are coming in and this is men and women with a lack of motivation a lack of desire a lack of like zest for life we always look at their testosterone levels and how they're converting them yeah and and it kind of helps us step back to this bigger conversation in you know often when people go to their gp you know maybe because they're feeling a lot of these symptoms the low energy low mood and everything the irritability some of those other things that can go along with low testosterone Sometimes the recommendation is an antidepressant or it's, you know, something's wrong with your mood, your, your, the way that you're seeing the world and things like that. And we forget just how much of a role our hormones play on those exact same symptoms or, you know, behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. That's good. So when, you know, when a, a typical man comes in to, to see us, mm-hmm. often they're not saying, hey, I, I must be low testosterone. They're thinking like, I'm more irritable, I'm not communicating or connecting with my partner as well as I did before. I have less desire to go out and play with the kids. I feel like I don't have the strength that I used to when, I was in the, when I'm working on the gym, like I can't put muscle on. Uh, libido's not quite there, I'm kind of apathetic when it comes to interaction with my, my partner. And it's all these things, and then so quickly, I think it's, it's easy to say there's something wrong with you, your mm-hmm. mind. It's, it's a mental health problem. Uh, sure, there could be definitely you know, traumas and stressors and things like that contributing to those symptoms as well. But I would say, you know, a great way to look at, at that sort of picture is also to really address what's going on in the hormonal system. Yeah, right? like there's such a chicken and egg thing with that too. For sure. It's like you don't know which one actually came first. Maybe there was a trauma and a stress that then changed how your hormones are communicating and yeah. it became normal for you to be in a stressed state, which then lowered your testosterone. So now you have low testosterone, which will then embellish 
that state even more. So sometimes it's difficult to tell like which one came first. Like, is it the declining testosterone after age 25 that's making you more susceptible to the depression? Or is it that those stressors and all the things, the foods and all the things that we're going to talk about that are lowering your testosterone that's causing the depression? Totally. So let's, let's shift now to really understand. So kind of want to lay out the picture of what this typically looks like for someone. Um, and usually, I mean, here's the unfortunate reality with this is that this can go on for years. Yeah. You know, and say, let's say you're in your late thirties, even early forties and just things just feel harder to do. You're more uncomfortable, more irritable. You're maybe more in chronic pain than you used to, to remember. You don't move as well in your body. And it's just, you just kind of get into your head that oh, it's just cause I'm getting older yeah. and we just slowly adapt to this way of being. And we, we are totally disconnected from what, what still is possible. And I think that's part of the problem is that people find themselves here for years without actually doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. talk a little bit about that, just that getting stuck in, in that state of symptoms. Yeah, because when you don't know what questions to ask when you go see your practi practitioner either, like if you yeah. don't know that this could be connected to hormones, you're not going to ask for your hormones to be tested. And if they're only... Um, medicine or treatment is to give you an antidepressant because the symptoms that you're coming in with are like low mood, fatigue, apathetic feelings, um, not wanting to participate in life, like that check, 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 that's depression. Yeah. So then the first line of defense towards that will be an antidepressant instead of saying, hey, like, let's look at this other angle, like maybe it is that your hormones need to shift. And for women, um, when women are on birth control pills, they don't actually know that a lot of those birth control pills come from testosterone. They're made from testosterone, so it blocks the receptors. And so they start feeling those emotions. Sometimes they can connect back to, oh, I started taking the pill, I started feeling this way, so there must be something going on with my hormones. But often they just feel like there's something wrong with them and they need like a different solution. Yeah, I love that you said that because I think sometimes we don't pay enough attention to our history. Just yeah. looking back and going, this happened and then, you know, maybe a month or two later, this started to become a lot more apparent. You know, this is the value in proper consultation and taking a proper history with someone. So you can start to fine tune things. I mean, how many times does it happen on a weekly basis where you're talking to someone and like, oh, I never even connected those two things before. Yeah. I, didn't, I haven't thought about that in years. I didn't, you know, I even didn't think about things that happened in childhood, which were more clearly uh, precursors to, to where I am now. Yeah. And that's the value in pro really understanding someone's story. Yeah, that's right? the value in like asking the right questions. Yeah. Like even over time, how I ask questions has changed. Instead of asking like, do you think this could have happened? Or were you exposed to A, B, and C? Like I'll ask specific questions. Where did you grow up? What mm -hmm. was your room like? Did you live in the basement? Like there's all these like specific. So I think it's the same the other way around when there's a thought coming up or your energy is really low, just asking really specific questions. What did I do yesterday? What's changed? What stage of life am I in? You know, what could be contributing to this instead of going into that state of like feeling really disempowered and be asking someone else to rescue us. Yeah, absolutely. So is Tony Robbins, your, your favorite guy says yeah. the quality of your life is really based on the quality, quality of the questions, questions yeah. that you asked. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, so hopefully, you know, these kind of conversations provoke questions for you and you can start to see yourself in some of the stories that we're sharing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here's another reality. As we age, we become more insulin resistant mm -hmm. too. And so the, like the epitome of someone who's going to be low testosterone is going to be someone who's insulin dominant. Yeah. 
but there, let's talk about the triad of hormones. The three core hormones that, that can overwhelm or become overwhelmed in the system, which lead to testosterone decline. So yeah. do you want to list them off? Yeah. So we talked about cortisol and like stress before, um, estrogen is the other one. And then Nick just mentioned, um, insulin. So with cortisol, if we're in a state of stress all the time, it's signaling your testosterone and your, even your estrogen, your progesterone, all of that to essentially take a back seat because um, now cortisol is in the driver's seat to help you survive and to help you get through that dangerous moment. And that dangerous moment could be you being stuck in traffic. It doesn't have to be something huge. But the way the brain perceives the information is that, oh, I need to give this individual this fuel, this adrenaline and this cortisol to get through their day. And if we're doing that on a consistent basis, it's taking away from our sex hormones like testosterone. Mm -hmm, definitely. And, you know, what kind of behaviors go along with that high stress state? We're more likely yeah. to grab a quick snack and yeah. we're going to push ourselves into more of a high sugar, sugar roller coaster state because we're feeding our emotions with the food. And not because necessarily it's nourishing food, but it's more like survival food, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I asked that question again too, like chicken, chicken and egg. So as we're aging, starting age twenty-five, testosterone starts to decline. So is there a protective mechanism that testosterone has against insulin resistance, or does it create more insulin sensitivity? So the more we have, the easier it is to maybe not have cravings or move in that direction because the higher the testosterone, the more motivated. Or energetic we feel too yeah definitely so cortisol also plays a role on messing up the thyroid too right yeah so do, do you want to talk about that a little bit just with a high stress state you're, you're okay <laughs> the high stress state that has a negative feedback yeah. on the thyroid and so we know the thyroid hormone plays a huge role in metabolism and temperature regulation even sleep patterning so it's just not to open up the, the thyroid story too much, but cortisol also has an impact there. And then the excess cortisol usually leads to excess weight gain, you know, mm. and for a lot of people. So you mentioned estrogen and insulin. Why don't you talk about estrogen being a, a female hormone yeah. and what's happening with estrogen? Like, and how is this interfering with testosterone? Yeah. So to put it in simple terms, estrogen and testosterone can feed into one another or convert into one another, depending on, Again, your like the health of your cells, your communication, um, the input it's getting from the environment in terms of what foods you're eating, what kind of products you're using. So things like xenoestrogens from our environment that are in our products, like beauty products or cleaning products or soy because it's a phytoestrogen, um, pesticides sprayed on our foods. Um, essentially, it's creating confusion in the system um, in regards to like how much testosterone we're like dominating in our, um, sorry, estrogen. And so there's a conversion issue often when we are in that like toxic state. And so if we're converting too much into estrogen, then we're depleting our testosterone continuously yeah. because of toxicity. So let's talk about a behavior. We're going to talk about insulin in a moment, but it's correlated to this too. But let's talk about a regular behavior that people are doing so often that's that's causing a direct increase in, in estrogen, that's alcohol. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, it's so normalized to, to come home, you know, wind down, have the wine, as you like to say, or, or use alcohol as a way to come down off of your day. And, you know, what's the acceptable amount? It's so unique and individual, but Talk a little bit about yeah. alcohol, the role it's playing on estrogen, and, and like why this is becoming such a huge issue, especially for testosterone. 
Yeah, so I think there's different layers to it. One, you spoke about the, just the acceptance of it. Um, we often use it as a reward and it's almost become humorous. Like if you watch videos on like TikTok and stuff, you see moms at the end of the day, like basically drinking the whole bottle and like pouring like not just a little wow. in their cup. It's like the whole thing is full and it's, it's become humorous. And we're mm -hmm. talking about it in this way that like, of course, you're going to have a big like glass of wine at the end of the night or a whole bottle. Like, so because it's been so accepted, we don't realize the negative impacts that it actually has on our personality, on our energy, on our hormones. And then the next day from like sleep dysregulation to just how the body is processing our hormones now. So specifically with estrogen, we've talked about the importance of the liver in regards to estrogen detox. So now if there's all of this estrogen coming in from the environment, from the pesticides, the, everything that I mentioned before, it's our liver's job to actually regulate that estrogen in our system. So now if it's working extra hard to regulate the alcohol that's coming into the system, then it's the estrogen piece isn't a priority anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so an alcohol isn't necessarily sugar, but it behaves like sugar in the body. And right. then you get these massive spikes in insulin. It causes this fatty liver phenomenon, especially if it's you know consumed on a regular basis. And this is where there's individuality. Some of us are really effective detoxifiers of, yeah. of alcohol. Uh, some of us are not. Some of us have nutrient deficiencies. We know we need certain B vitamins to metabolize alcohol, like mm -hmm. thiamine, and we know that alcohol dehydrogenase an enzyme requires B3. Mm -hmm. So there's there's very specific nutrient deficiencies that happen when we're doing things on a regular basis and then contributing to this fatty liver. And we can also get fatty liver from high fructose corn syrup and way too many you know carbohydrates in our diet or really high amounts of uh, high glycemic sugars. Um, I mean, there's lots of different ways to contribute. Uh, even too much acetaminophen can cause yeah. fatty liver. So, you know, when we look at things that we have to detoxify on a regular basis, that's going to contribute to this buildup of fatty liver, which is going to make us more insulin resistant, make us gain weight, uh, increase that estrogen to testosterone ratio, and it's going to lead to a lot of the symptoms. So what does that mean? What do those symptoms look like? Yeah, so right away it would look like extra weight gain around the belly. Um, so that's going to contribute then to just changes in our mood. Um, it's also going to lead to the low energy. It's going to lead to then not having enough testosterone to get motivated enough to even go to the gym, but then mm -hmm. get the results that we want from the gym because we just don't have that testosterone now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got dear friends who drink regularly and then, and then exercise regularly, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like if we're choosing these healthy habits for ourselves, without really thinking about or having a plan for the repercussions. Cause yeah. it's, you know, one aspect is that if we're gonna Im implement it into our lifestyle, what's your recovery plan? I, I talked about the, I talk about this with all my patients. If you're gonna, I'm not judging you on your lifestyle choices, but you still need a recovery plan. Like if you're gonna go for a run, you're probably gonna need some electrolytes, you're gonna need some water, you, you're probably gonna need to stretch afterwards. You know, we have a recovery plan maybe for exercise. Uh, we might have I obviously did not this weekend. You didn't have a recovery No, no, <laughs> well, let's talk about that too. Yeah. Um, but then we also have a recovery plan for maybe jet lag. Like what is, yeah. you know, maybe you plan to have an extra couple of days when you come back from a trip from Europe, for example, to, to establish, you know, a, a natural rhythm again. But I think most people just think that I'm indestructible. 
I'm gonna consume this alcohol and tomorrow might suck, I'm gonna have a hangover, but I'll get over it eventually. But getting over it eventually for many people is like three, four days, maybe it's an entire week. Yeah. And they go and do it again and it's kind of like, when do you have, did you give your body an opportunity to start to feel good again? Yeah, and the other thing that we were talking about before was the depressive state that somebody can get yeah. in when they have low testosterone. So now throw in alcohol, which we know is a depressant. So now you have both things working against you. and. I know Dr. Amen, who's all about brain health, he basically says a drop of alcohol is like poison to the brain. Right. And so, I mean, I know this isn't an alcohol um, conversation or a podcast, but it's just, it's those daily habits. It's yeah. those things that we think won't impact us today or in the future, but it's what we do every day makes such a lasting impact on our health, especially our mental health. Yeah. So the, the third hormone in the triad, which we've alluded to many times because it's such a huge one, it's inversely related to testosterone. So you can't have high insulin and have high testosterone unless you're pharmacologically injecting yourself with testosterone while eating the standard American diet. Right, which is in a natural state then. It, completely not a natural yeah. state. So then do those individuals that are maybe taking steroids or yeah. doing even just bioidentical testosterone, if they don't change their lifestyle, yeah. do they end up gaining gaining weight or getting opposite yeah. results? Well, I think this is, this is a huge part of the reason why a lot of people on steroids and who are bulking up, you know, using tremendous amounts of protein even to you know, to increase muscle mass. Like there's only so much protein that we can utilize, say in a supplement or in the food, in order to take that down to amino acids and actually have protein synthesis in the, in the body. And so when we're in this like high fed state, which also means high insulin state, and we're pumping testosterone and it's a completely unnatural scenario. So we get huge growth factors, but also huge inflammatory signals in the body because of this high insulin state. Uh, you know, there's some interesting information to show that people who are using steroids, high fed state diet, they tend to, I mean, we might see earlier, earlier cardiovascular disease and heart attacks and things like that. You see, hear about a lot of bodybuilders dying at a younger age because of this phenomenon of high testosterone, high insulin. Yeah. And there's a way to do it intelligently where you're not, you know, completely counteracting these hormonal states inside the body. So. You know, living an insulin-friendly dietary plan, you can still get gains uh, in muscle size and whatnot by, by doing this intelligently without pushing the gas pedal down on insulin and testosterone. Um, so, you know, that being said, the opposite of that or another version of that would be someone with diabetes, type 2, where you're constantly stimulating this insulin response because of a high-fed state, high snacking, high, you know, high, very tasty, high carbohydrate foods that, that never actually satiate or nourish your body, but really just keep pumping the gas and insulin. That's where you set up this, uh, you know, natural phenomenon of high insulin and low testosterone. Yeah. So most diabetic patients are going to be low testosterone. Yeah. And then for like those that aren't diabetic, um, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what the statistic is around how many times we actually eat in a day, mm -hmm. whether it was between like 15 and 21, I can't remember exactly what yeah. the number was, but those are the amount of times then your insulin is spiking. And this could be even something that we think is a like healthy, like a handful of nuts or something, yeah. but because we're eating so much throughout the day, it's spiking it every time and then creating that ability for um, it to be higher than testosterone again. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I should say too, you know, we get a chance to work with a lot of bodybuilders or people that are spending a tremendous amount of time in the gym. And I have yet to see, you know, look healthy on the outside. You know, people who look physically fit, almost all, 
I, I can't think of one where there wasn't a normal insulin level. They were all on the high end of normal, if not out of range. Right. So just to, you know, to your point, it can be healthy. Right. Right? Like healthy. It could be like a protein bar every, <laughs> every two hours exactly. or a protein shake or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's important because unless we know our metabolic health, unless we know our metabolic markers as in blood work, we have no idea what, what we're doing on a regular basis and, and the kind of impact that's having on our body. So we've experimented with different things, with uh, blood glucose testing or fasting, continu insulin. fasting insulin, continuous glucose monitors. You know, we've seen the impact of doing these different things. So if you can track and see what your blood sugar does as a result of consuming alcohol or maybe that higher carbohydrate meal or the frequent snacking, you're going to get direct feedback into, into how your body's handling things. And if you're constantly in this high, highly fed state, high carbohydrate state, high alcohol state, um, high insulin state, you're, you're more likely to be in a depletion in testosterone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we want to talk about uh, the seven things that, that we can do on a daily basis to help boost testosterone, right? Yeah. So one of the first things um, that we should say before we jump into that is just there is a natural age-related decline, which you did talk about, right? So yeah. from the age 25 to 40, our hormones decline by about 50%. Um, the rate of that decline can absolutely change based on... Uh, the choices that we make, right? right? You mentioned the questions that we ask ourselves, like what are we willing to implement? And so these are some of those things actually that you can be doing regularly to maybe uh, flatten that sort of decline uh, over yeah. time, right? So the first one being cholesterol. What's the deal with cholesterol, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. testosterone. Yeah, so I don't know if we mentioned this in our previous podcast, but most of your, all your hormones are made from cholesterol and as we age, as hormones decline, cholesterol can go up because of that negative feedback loop, like your brain is telling the body to produce more. So that's one reason it can go up. Another reason it'll go up is if your insulin and your glucose is high because glucose will create damage in your, in your arteries, in your cells, and then what cholesterol does, it acts like a band-aid and helps to support to really cushion those areas so there isn't further damage. But what happens on a blood test is your doctor might see that you have, you know, higher LDL right now or maybe total cholesterol, even though your triglycerides are fine and other markers are okay, they may put you on statin drugs, which then reduces your cholesterol too much and now you don't even have enough to produce the testosterone your body needs. Yeah. So we're not saying you can't go on statin drugs, yeah. but, but it's important to at least pay attention to the fact that the way that we've been communicated to with regards to cholesterol isn't telling the full story. And so yeah, it's obviously, not the total bad guy. Exactly. And so obviously it's a decision and discussion you need to have with your doctor, but you need to understand that it is the, the backbone for all hormones. And so if you start to really suppress that, some of the common side effects of, of statin use is low libido, inability to put muscle on the high body, glucose. high glucose, yeah. right? Did you want to say anything else no. on that? Yeah. So that's, that's significant. So we mentioned the protein, right? Yeah. So if you have... If you just consume too much protein, you're going to be insulin dominant, right? It's that same scenario. If insulin's high, testosterone can't be high. So being mindful of the total protein intake, you know, for, for a bodybuilder, they often say like one to two grams, probably more like two grams of protein for every pound of lean muscle mass as far as how many grams of protein you should take every day. I would, I would argue that you can only absorb or extract a certain amount or any amount of amino acids from the protein you're eating. So... If you're on a ton of protein powders, you know, I'd 
a big portion of that is going to get converted into carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. And you're only getting, you know, maybe in, in powders, according to Dr. David Minkoff, maybe 5 to 15% of that is going to be extracted in the form of amino acids. And this is where a lot of the sort of the bodybuilder world in this high insulin, high testosterone state, they're stuck in this insulin dominant state, which is, you know, fast tracking illness and inflammation in the body. So mm -hmm. the type of protein, mm -hmm. how much you can actually extract out of that protein that you're choosing, eggs turn out to be the highly, most highly available form of protein. And then what does it take, to, what amount of protein then is too much in that, in that one meal where you're gonna be just pushing this insulin state? Yeah. Yeah, anything else you wanna add there? Mm, okay. So the next one is, what about carbohydrates? Yeah, so we talked about glucose and if we're eating especially simple carbohydrates, it's going to increase your glucose levels, which will increase your insulin again. So it all comes back down to how much insulin your body is having to produce and secrete. So this is where intermittent fasting can yeah. come into play. Can, this is where like, you know, stepping into a little bit more ketosis here and there. We talked in previous podcasts for women that are listening or watching, um, really looking at your cycle of like when, that can be a whole other conversation of like, yeah. when to bring these elements in because your testosterone does drop, especially the last half of your cycle, you are more prone to having cravings towards carbs and um, you know, feeling more bloated or you know, feeling like you're gaining weight and things like that, but then we're craving carbs during that time. And so really watching the quality of carbs that you're having, so making sure that they're complex carbohydrates. And if you are increasing your healthy fats, like if you are experimenting with intermittent fasting and ketogenic diet, you have to lower the carbs because it's another state that isn't natural in your body to have high carb, glucose, insulin levels, plus high fat, like keto, um, ketone levels. So those are just some like nuances to always understand with your diet. Yeah, and so one of the things that we really highlight here for people is diet variation. Yeah. I think we get so stuck, I did this today to hit this outcome. I have to do that every day. And you, and you end up staying on you know, a diet for years. Uh, maybe you had initial success and then, you know, and then we come up with other reasons for why it no longer works. When really our body is meant to be in a, you know, this experience of diet variation, eating with the seasons, maybe having times where you're protein loading, times where you're going higher in fat, higher in carbohydrate. I mean, listening to a woman's cycle is really yeah. interesting on that. Men, we can just create our own variation based on, you know, maybe the amount of activity we're doing. You know, and, and I should also say, like, Activity level will really dictate a whole lot of these choices too around yeah. you know dietary choices. So, yeah. um, which kind of takes us into the next thing, which is exercise. So, what are some things that you think of when it comes to exercise and optimizing testosterone? Yeah. So I think timing, like when you're exercising, and then type of exercise. So going back for me with uh, a women's cycle, um, looking at your follicular phase and understanding that this is when you can do the heavier workouts, the hit workouts and you probably will be producing more growth hormone first thing in the morning and supporting your testosterone levels as well. So I usually recommend for women to work out first thing in the morning and that's where they can bring in their like amino acids and things like that post-workout too. So I would say, yeah, timing and type is gonna be really important. Totally, and I, th yeah. I think there's something you said and I think you should maybe share, share your story of your over-exercise experience yes. on the weekend. But uh, you know, I think it, there's something we said here. If let's say we're training for a marathon, 
just be like it, it would be expected that you're going to be running high cortisol like yeah. you're putting a tremendous amount of stress in your body for over a long period of time i'm not saying don't do marathons it's just that you know maybe when you come out of that you know training experience how do you bring in more variation because the body does do well when it's provoked through stress yeah there's stress adaptation and then there's too much stress and that sweet spot is you stress that normal mm. stress where we can dip our toe into a stress response have the growth factors, have the, the stimulation for healing. But if we're pushing that cortisol button with our workouts on a very regular basis to the point where we're not implementing a sort of a recovery plan, we can just be getting into more wasting and we can actually implement or interfere with our growth hormone with our testosterone production. So uh, speaking of a, a provoking stress, let's talk about your big bike or big bike excursion day yeah. and like how you're moving now. So I do the opposite of what I teach and I'm in the part of my cycle where I need to slow down, maybe do yoga, go for walks, but we're also in summertime with the boys and only have certain days that we can actually do activities with them. So we've been wanting to do this bike ride for some time and it was around 40 kilometers. Um, it was gravel path, it was along the shoreline, it was beautiful. Beautiful, yes. Yeah. And I could feel it on the way to the destination where we would turn around and come back. Every time we would stop, like, oh yeah, no, my knees, they're not, they're not feeling so great. And yeah, made it through the whole thing. That night, came home. On the feel. way back though, like, we stopped a few times and so I was like, oh, I need to sit down. Yeah, like, like it this, was bad. something is not going well. <laughs> yeah, something was wrong. And um, so then I adjusted my seat. I was like, okay, I think my seat's just a bit too low. There's too much pressure on my knees. And you know, then I got into a rhythm because I could, I could push through as we all can sometimes when we're under a state of stress. So definitely my cortisol was running high instead of just like looking at the scenery and being in a parasympathetic state while I'm joyfully riding my bike mm -hmm. that was not the case um so the that night i could not sleep because i was in so much pain my mm -hmm. knee swelled up a lot my quads are hurting um i'm having a sitting like this right now is actually really painful this is why i'm losing some of my words when i'm speaking right now um, i'm in a lot of pain mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's because a few factors one you know we haven't ridden our bikes all summer yeah so the not training that long. wasn't there like for was, not that long. It was an extreme amount. Yeah, we went from like zero to a yeah. hundred. Yeah. And I mean, our boys are fine, of course, young muscles and stuff. And so there was that. There was also like wrong timing in my cycle. Um, so that definitely influenced it. Came home next day, we had guests coming over. So didn't really spend any time in like recovery. I don't even think I had electrolytes hmm. that day. Um, so there's like little things that I normally would have done, but in the... This, not the stress of summer, but just like the, the movement of summer. Like I'm just always trying to make sure the boys have something to do or we're, yeah. we're doing all of this. I'm, I'm, I'm noticing I'm losing that connection with my rhythm, which, you know, I bet many people can relate to. For sure. Yeah. But there's also this whole like, you know, because you don't do that every day. Yes. There's this whole adaptation experience. So, right. we, you know, we, you were just listening to a doc the other day talk about putting yourself into these more intense situations. Where and you then are sore. Where you are yeah. sore, where you're getting the lactic acid build up, you're having to flush out, you know, that inflammatory load out of these tissues and it's a stimulus for stem cell production. Yeah. And I think this is, you know, understanding like pulsing different types of workouts into your day, doing these extreme bike rides once in a while. Um, for you, like this is also not extreme for other people who ride all the time, right. but it was for you. It was and, for me. and so I think, yeah. you know, 
you know, picking and choosing where you're putting these things in uh, is really, really helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, he said if you do that, you have lots of stem cells. So I'm, I'm just assuming there's like billions of stem cells exactly. that are being produced now in the knees. Super knees afterwards. <laughs> yeah, super knees. Yeah. yeah. So the next one, you know, on the topic of recovery is all about sleep. Mm. But it's not just about sleep, it's about circadian rhythm too. Yeah. You know, we, we live in a, a world right now where we're maladapted to light. We're under blue light most of the time. We're staying up later, watching the TV shows, going right to bed. So the quality of sleep is in question, right? So we need to spend a good amount of time in our deep sleep, in our REM sleep. Most people spend a tremendous amount of time in light sleep or they're waking up frequently at night and they're not aware of it. Uh, you know, I like to use an aura ring to, to calculate the quality of my sleep through the night. And so the quality of, of your sleep is dictated by the rhythm of what you do during the day, you know? So early morning exercise, your meal window, you know, are you snacking through the day? Are you stuck in insulin dominance before you go to bed? So all of these factors are going to play a role on testosterone. Yeah, right? there was um, this just to reiterate on sleep doesn't have to, anything to do with testosterone, but memory. I mean, if you're um, sleeping well, like your estrogen, your testosterone, everything's working well. They are all involved in brain health and your memory. But there was a study that was done with a group of students at a university and they took group A that was just sleeping six hours a night. Group B was sleeping for eight hours a night and then group B after six months of doing this they saw that they actually retained I can't remember the percentage but it was over 50 percent more than the yeah. than group A that mm. was only getting six hours of sleep so again like that's going to contribute to your quality of life and yeah. your ability to ask those quality questions because if we can't retain our the information we can't put pieces together, yeah. that's going to influence how we feel about ourselves too and even that depressive state that we can get into. For sure. Uh, there's also research that's showing the quality of sleep is going to dictate your, your level of insulin resistance. Right. So if you have a really crappy sleep, you're going to be more insulin resistant the next day. Yeah. Right. And if that compounds over time, that's going to be a huge contributor to that insulin testosterone ratio, yeah. right? Uh, we talked a lot about estrogen in this podcast, but maybe just reiterating here, another really important one to get in check to optimize testosterone. Anything else you want to add? I mean, we kind of mentioned yeah. it, but... Yeah, I just think the same thing again. Like, I don't know if you've seen this too, but any Dutch tests that I've done where they look at how well Dutch tests, dry urine hormone tests. Yeah, yeah. Um, to see your levels of like estrogen and how your liver is actually processing it. We talked about alcohol and liver before. I don't... Maybe I've seen like... A handful out of like thousands of tests that I've done where they're actually doing that properly right so when you yeah. run these tests you start to see that okay I'm actually not methylating I'm not my phase one phase two detox process isn't as efficient as I thought it would be so of course that's going to then influence your testosterone levels definitely yeah and then last one is supplementation we'll yeah. just pick like a few because there's lots yeah. that you could think of um, we talked about light before you know, and obviously a big part of light is that skin exposure to, and uh, increasing vitamin D. So vitamin D is, is like, behaves like a hormone in the body. It's needed in order to upregulate the, our other hormones like testosterone. Um, zinc is another big one, help with conversion of testosterone to estrogen or keeping estrogen, you know, converted into testosterone appropriately. There's B vitamins, any yeah. others that you think of? So herbs, um like fenugreek is mm -hmm. a big one, ashwagandha, because that's going to help support your nervous system and your cortisol. Ashatavri uh, is another Ayurvedic herb that's really helpful too. Yeah, and yeah. Tonkata leaf for men, uh, it's been shown to help to decouple testosterone from sex hormone binding globulin, which can potentially help to raise that free testosterone level. Yeah. So there's lots of great you know, herbs and supplements and things like that. Uh, I can't say that 
all of them, when you take that stack, it's going to absolutely increase your testosterone. As, as we discussed, there's a lot of factors that, that play a role here, but it is important to address your unique circumstances. So knowing yourself through testing, we talked about the Dutch test a little bit more in the last podcast, but even looking at your nutrient levels, like what do your B vitamins look like, your vitamin D, your vitamin C, some of these other antioxidants, what kind of role are they playing in your body, even down to the amino acid levels and the fatty acid levels in the body. If you know yourself more deeply and thoroughly, you can make much better decisions to optimize your hormones, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, as you know, uh, or maybe as you do not know, we've got a Health Ignited Club, like an inner circle of teaching and education. We meet once a month to dive into specific topics and we have a little round table, open forum at the end where we share with one another. Um, if you love this information, you want to dive in more, you want to learn more, feel free to join our Health Ignited Club. You can find that on um, drjensen.com. Yeah, and you can look for the Health Ignited Club there. So we hope to see you there and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited Podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.